Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of The 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for The 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away oh. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today we're trekking. We're going on a we're going boldly. We're 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 revisiting, you know, we're, we're no going fan around has gone before. We're we're actually doing slingshotting around the sun and going back in time. Using the light speed breakaway factor. To 1999. And uh, no, we're not talking about free enterprise again. We <laughs> talked about that enough. We're talking about a film that came out about the same time, which is Roger Nygaard's documentary about Star Trek fans, Trekkies. I do consider myself half Vulcan. I did draw the line low at having my ears surgically altered. (laughs) It began as a vision of the future. The best thing I've ever done in my life. Star Trek, the blueprint for a better mankind. It became a phenomenon. I've been asked to marry people. That has touched millions. Everybody's seen the picture of Barbara Adams. I wore my uniform just as any other officer in the military would wear theirs. Star Trek is part entertainment and part philosophy. Now, they've got their own movie, Trekkies. 
I'd rather be known like as a spiner femme. I like that. Who's your favorite captain? Kirk. He's a stud. They're devoted. This is my third convention. 20 or 30 or more. 50 or 60. They're misunderstood. Welcome to Starbase Dental. So, um, this is reception. This is where the patients check in. It's not like any other dentist office I've ever met in. And they may just be the most intelligent life form you've ever met. This costume is the uniform that I've designed from the film project that I'm working on, and it should be noted that this is only a, a prototypical version. I am guard 48, and this is guard number 28. That's right. You want to know a funny story about Trekkies, Darren? I do. Tell well, me. you know, in order to release a film theatrically, you need to register a title with the MPAA. So when we were doing Free Enterprise, the original title, because we were such yeah. huge Swingers fans, was Trekkers. And right. we registered Trekkies, Trekkers, um, Free Enterprise, a million other titles. I don't even remember what the freak it was. So we had the rights to the name Trekkies. And it was really funny because when Paramount wanted to release Trekkies, they couldn't because we controlled the title. We had to do a legal release to release Trekkies. And at the time, because Paramount had been so unhelpful throughout the whole process of making free enterprise, we actually considered not giving them the rights to Trekkies. There he is. <laughs> but we, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, um, you know, it was Roger's film and Denise's film. Yeah. And it was like, who are we really punishing? You know, you know, and we just like, we're not going to be vindictive like that. You this is when I was young and unvindictive. You want and, to keep uh, the sandbox clean. Yeah. So, so we released, we, we agree. And we, at that point we knew we weren't calling it Trekkers that it was going to be called free enterprise. Right. So, um, uh, we, um, so we released the title Trekkie. So I'm sure Roger doesn't even know that, but it's a fun little story from <laughs> way back, back in the day, us old had, guys. Had you been as vindictive and egomaniacal as you are now, it would have been different, but no, exactly. you were, you were That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So a uh, couple of housekeeping things before we bring in Roger. Um, first, I got to say, um, I went to the Academy Museum this week mm -hmm. with uh, the family for um, Father's Day. And there's this wonderful exhibit on um, matte paintings and sci-fi visual effects and this terrific montage of science fiction movies, which Star Trek is very well represented. A lot of Star Trek, the motion picture to their credit, I have to say. So my, my son, Isaac, you know, who's a big um, a fan of a lot of was absolutely captivated. And when it was over, he turns to me, he says, so, you know, that 900 part uh, a list you did of um, greatest sci-fi movies ever. He said, I think I'd like to start watching some of those. Oh my God. And I'm like, excellent. I said, you want to listen to the podcast? He goes, no, it's too long. He says, but I would like the list. <laughs> so I gave him the list and uh, we started going. Uh, it was funny. We watched Flash Gordon the other day, which he absolutely loved and loved Flash Gordon. He was very upset there was no sequel and um, loved Clytus. And um, yesterday we watched Buck Rogers in the 21st century. So we're slowly going through 
the list very slowly. And he, and he said to me, he said, he said to me, what's this? The clone comes home. I said, I have no idea. As for a brunette, I, I don't yeah. know what that was. Yeah. But, <laughs> some of, but some of the entries are easier to view than others. But, he, you know, he'd seen a bunch of, of the films already. But I think we're watching Starship Troopers tonight. Nice. And uh, I'm 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 so delighted that he is embracing our list. And the I have to say goes west. Whatever, whatever issues I have with the Academy Museum are outweighed by overall. It's fantastic. It's a really great that we it exists. There have been some great screenings there, and um, you know I think it's it's the, some of the initial kinks will be ironed out over time. Helping but, to bring fathers and sons together. Well, it was great. I mean, it was it was it was absolutely great. My my daughter loved the museum too, but um, but uh, but uh, it was very. I mean, he literally was absolutely captivated by the sci-fi montage. And to their credit, you know, which you don't see in a lot of play, it was it really was a good representation because you had Day of the Earth to Still, Forbidden Planet. Um, you know, uh, um, when worlds collide, invaders from Mars. It wasn't one of these, you know, uh, trip to the moon. Obviously, um, a lot of you know um, early sci-fi. It wasn't like you see now, where it's like everything's from 1990 on. Right. You know, it was really a great overview. But you know, it had the Klingon attack. You know, it had some great Star Trek motion picture stuff in it, which I was really happy to see. So you know, it was well done. You know, w- was the editing amazing? Eh. But it was a good representation of, um, you know, a hundred and something years of uh, sci-fi movies. Really fun. I I really enjoyed it. So I encourage people who are in the L.A. area, if they have a chance to go see. Speaking of which, you know who was in the L.A. area who wanted to get together? But he got COVID. Merv Block. Our good, our, oh my our goodness! Merv Glock was was coming in town for um, and he he wanted to get together, and I was delighted because obviously one of my favorite guests ever on the podcast, absolutely. And uh, but unfortunately, he got COVID, wasn't able to make it, and but hopefully the next time. Yeah. I hope um, okay. okay. So number two, some people might be interested in, uh, you know, last week we had the great, uh, the wonderful Terry Metallis on the show. You, you um, may have you may have felt the temperature in the nether regions getting very chilly. I want to I want to talk about that for a second just because it got a very polarizing reaction. There are a lot of people who are absolutely delighted and thrilled it got a lot of attention on on, on the interwebs. Yep. Uh, and then there were some people who were absolutely, you know, outraged why we would cover Picard on the show. Now, I just want to say this we is didn't a show cover, we didn't really cover Picard. No, this is a That's show about thing. celebrating the love and specifically our love of Star Trek. Yeah. Now, Terry is a guy who loves Star Trek, and he has a fascinating story, having started on as an intern in post-production on Voyager, you know, selling a script to Enterprise, um, moving on, creating great sci-fi TV shows like 12 Monkeys, and ultimately becoming the showrunner on Picard. So, as I always say, you know, hope for the best. You know, I don't go into anything expecting something to be bad. And this was really a show where we talked about what hopefully third season of Picard will be. Now, uh, I, I was really angry at the vitriol that came from certain circles towards Terry specifically on social media. Secondarily. Yes. We're all big enough to take a few insults. I could care less. I told you, you know, look. It's, you know, it's obvious that we harbor no great love for certain more recent iterations of Star Trek, but we don't sure. talk about it because we know the people that love it and good for them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and it, it, you know, it's not we we have no interest in crapping on what other people love. Yep, for the most part, unless it's Star Trek Three. So, um, my my, but the thing, it is so. I, if there's one thing I hate more than some iterations of New Star Trek, it's the people that hate the iterations of New Star Trek. They they, they are so rude and 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 mean spirited, and in some cases, downright racist. And um, I just, I, I was just amazed. It's like, there's no reason to be uh, a, you directly to Terry, you know, who, who, who puts himself out there, you know, and is willing to, you know, and is clearly a huge Star Trek fan. Okay. You didn't like Picard season two. You know what? Maybe theoretically, maybe I'm not a huge fan of it. Right. Possibly. But what did I, I talked about something that I liked about it. The, yeah. the, the Q uh, goodbye scene to Picard, which to me felt like, Next generation, right? Um, but there's no need to be mean spirited, you know, uh, uh, to uh, to a guest. You know, he's our guest. We're the hosts, right? Yeah. We're, we're hosting him, and 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 to to you know, the fact of the matter is, people say on social media things they would never say to somebody in person, right? And um, it's so disrespectful. And I was so look. I, I not all these people were necessarily listeners to the show. I think a lot of them were just people who saw, you know, and on social media yeah. and, and said these things because I would hope that listeners of our show would be more respectful. Rather, yeah. you, you can hate the shows. You can hate these shows with a passion. I get that. I trust me. I get it. But um, the, 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 there's, um, there's no reason to be disrespectful. And, and, and you know, the, the, I, I will say that regardless of the show you might dislike the most currently, I'm sure everyone on it is working very, very hard. Yeah. And there are a multitude of reasons maybe why that show was a good that we're not privy to. Whatever. So I'm just saying I, I was very dispirited by And again, I don't care if anybody's going to be mad at us. I mean, you know, people complaining we don't like Star Trek 3. Oh well, God, and but, too bad. mostly because they hadn't even heard the show yet. Yeah, that's I know. The, that's the main thing. That you're, you know, you're judging about uh, something that you haven't even listened to and, 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 you know, said that, oh, I absolutely won't listen to it. Well, screw you. You know, what the hell? And there's another reason, you know, like we said, you know, we don't talk about more contemporary stuff because a lot of these people are our peers. Yeah. And they're, if they're not friends, we know what they're going through. We, we know what they're putting up with from the studio and their things that we're privy to going on behind the scenes that most people aren't. You know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, we're not going to go out and, 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 and just be publicly critical, uh, you know, and rant and rave about uh, people's work. I'm not going to do it about Star Wars. I'm not going to do it about Star Trek. You know, uh, you know, um, and I just think I, I was just really surprised. And like I said, disheartened by uh, some of the, some of the, the, the stuff. And, you know, I was glad that Terry came to do the show. I had wanted Terry on the show for a long time because of what I thought was such a fascinating history with Star Trek. The fact that he, he was the real next generation. He started as a, a assistant to Brandon Braga and then, you know, now as a showrunner. That to me was really compelling, right? And not, and not to toot our own horn. He's been a fan of our podcast for a while. Yes. Well, that too. So, um, you know, that, that, and that's all great. So, you know, for him to just have to, you know, put for you know when you think here's a guy I'm willing to go on the show and talk about things and say things that potentially gave me a lot of trouble with Paramount publicity, right? Absolutely. right? And and then to 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 have 
you know, these nasty comments sent his way. Okay, yeah. that's fine. You didn't like uh, Picard. That's fine. You're, uh, believe me, it's fine. But uh, but you don't need to be nasty and 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 vitriolic. And who knows? You know, Terry came in and was you know busy working on season, developing season three. You, yeah. uh, we don't even know what his role was on season two, right? So if right. you didn't like season two, it doesn't negate the fact that season three might be a lot better. Yeah. Who knows, right? And you have to watch it to find out. Believe us, we're not shills about anything. God knows, that's true. Uh, you know, especially, you know, especially something that we're so uh, close to in terms of production time. So it's it doesn't make any sense that uh, we would, uh, you know, start to uh, start broadcasting about something uh, in a positive way uh, where we have nothing to back it up yet. So it's, it's just it's just silly. But I, I am glad that after they started listening to the episode that we did get some very nice uh, uh, replies uh, on uh, Twitter and uh, and other places, absolutely, um, and a lot of new listeners, I think, as well. Yeah. Uh, the episode did uh, did, did uh, uh, you know well? Um, did Ben and Harold Livingston, which was heartbreaking, but uh, <laughs> Probably not only, as well as only due to kitchen noise. Yeah, I know exactly, exactly. Throughout <laughs> the kitchen, but okay, you're here to hear from Roger Nygaard to talk yes. about his classic film Trekkies from 1999 and Paramount Classics. So without any further ado, let's change the subject. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll have nothing nasty to say about Roger. And uh, he's a lovely guy. And he obviously has had a very successful career as an editor, in addition to making documentaries where he's worked on such shows as The Brilliant Veep. Um, and uh, of course, uh, the equally brilliant Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, so, um, without any further ado, let's, uh, listen to our pretty, pretty, pretty good interview with Roger Nygaard. So here we are with Roger. Roger's taking a bit of a, a victory lap, um, for the film after all these years after its theatrical release, uh, it comes out on Blu-ray and you get to promote it all over again. Um, have you, have you looked at it since it came out, uh, you know, <laughs> when you released it or, you know, when you put that to bed, like, have you, <laughs> you know, are you looking at it again or, well, you know, there was a couple decades there where I had not yeah. looked at it at all, but I looked at it about 7,000 times last year while we were restoring it. So yeah. yes, well, after the, the 4k scan and then mm. the color correction and the audio remix, all of that. So, uh, I still have not grown weary of watching it. I'll be honest. I was going to ask you, has your opinion evolved in any way when you look back at it? You know, obviously the old expression, movies are never finished, they're only abandoned. And at one <laughs> point you had to, you know, finish the movie. But now you're, you know, after all these years of two decades, you're, you're, you're looking back at it in retrospect. Has your sort of take on it changed? And obviously, you know, you've worked in the business for another two decades as well. So, uh, you know, that much more experience. So wh what, what is sort of your feelings about, about it? Well... I think it's good. Um, <laughs> I still think it's good. And I sort of thought, I can't believe we made something this good. <laughs> it's still, you know, there's something about your first time that yeah. you can never really exceed it, no matter what you do. And this was our, our first documentary. Denise and I had never made a documentary before. Mm -hmm. We teamed up. It was her idea. We got together. I rented some videos down at Vidiots, the local video store, because we lived, both lived on the west side of Los Angeles. And we started watching videos. We, I think we were, as I recall, we watched My Brother's Keeper. 
hoop dreams and crumb those were the closest things that i could find to what we were trying to create because there had not been a fan documentary before we didn't really think about it in terms of we are inventing a new genre that's going to explode but that's kind of what happened afterward right and our film watching it now i can see how flawed it is it's really a flawed documentary because it was our first time we didn't know what we were doing but part of that's the charm in it yeah. in that we didn't do what is expected or typical what have you and now like a xerox when people have made other fan documentaries they're copying our flaws as though that's the template for a fan documentary and i'll tell you the biggest flaw that i see in it in a typical documentary you have one main protagonist or a small group of people and they have a goal or an obstacle and by the end you find out if they succeed like hoop dreams is like who will get signed to the big leagues or my brother's keeper there was a, a verdict there's a trial with a verdict that's a built-in ending of some kind with uh roger and me in the michael moore film which we also watched he his, he sets his goal to interview roger smith at the end but he fails and so he solves it by interviewing an empty chair so right. there's a continual thread with an ending like an any narrative film and we don't have anything like that what we did to solve that though i'm looking at it and realizing is that we did a series of short stories it's like a book with a bunch of short stories right. you meet gabriel kerner here and you meet barbara adams here you meet the orlando dentist here and then they reoccur a little bit later throughout and we did these things called uh some have called them since uh, soundbite trains, which I, I call like theme questions. We asked everybody the same question. You know, what, what's the correct word, Trekkie or Trekker? Settle this once and for all. And of course, no one can agree on anything. And that's where the humor comes in it. And we intersperse these things so that no matter what, where you are in the film, you know something else is coming very quickly that hopefully will be as entertaining or more entertaining if you're not really as enamored with one of the subjects. So that's what I, th I had. So I did, I apparently had a lot of thoughts in watching it again. <laughs> back so when you, I, I'm sorry, back, back when you started, uh, before you started the uh, documentary, um, did you have sort of a mindset on what you were expecting and how did that, uh, how was that reaffirmed or changed as you went on? We didn't, well, on one hand, we didn't know what to expect because no one had done this, done a Star Trek documentary before. And, and when Denise suggested it, I couldn't believe no one had done it. It seemed so obvious once she thought of it. Of course, why hasn't someone done this? My expectations were based on the Star Trek fans I knew. And the same for Denise. She had told me about some of the people she'd met at the conventions she'd been doing, which is where the seed for the idea germ germinated for her. Like I have a brother who's a really huge Star Trek fan and I've got a, a friend that I went to college with. You know, he can quote every line of dialogue from the original series and often does ad nauseum, which is amusing. I found it very amusing. So my, I don't know my, anyone like that. <laughs> but isn't that funny when, you know, <laughs> you know, please drink. This is Tronya. I hope you relish it as much as I, you know, he says that all the time, <laughs> nonstop. He's, he, be, he has become Clint Howard, I think, uh, in, in that arrested development stage <laughs> my expectation That's a different show. my expectation was just to make something really entertaining and but i also have empathy for people so i did also didn't want to make it something that people would feel bad about i want anyone who was in the film to feel okay and feel good about participating 
So when it's funny, I wanted them to be laughing with us. So everyone's laughing kind of together. It's, yes, it's hilarious. These people are obsessive and funny, but so what? There's worse things to be obsessed with than a great TV show that has the prime directive as its motivating philosophy and going boldly and everyone has an equal chance in the future and lots of positive energy. So I think for me, that came through. So what is your interest in, uh, in Star Trek? Mainly Brent. Brent Spiner, Lieutenant Commander Data on The Next Generation, as you well know. Yes, I know him well. <laughs> now, you guys call yourself... Spiner Femmes. Spiner Femmes. Yes. Spiner Femmes? Uh-huh. I like that. It's good, isn't Spiner it? Spiner Femmes. Yeah. I think there's a series in that. <laughs> Was that the biggest challenge for you in terms of, you know, certainly the final edit in that if you look at that famous or for some infamous Shatner get a life uh, skit on Sarah Live, which is brilliant. You know, it's just absolutely brilliant. And Bill is fantastic in it. But of course, you have the challenge of wanting to appeal, as they say, beyond the cult, but also to Trek fans. So how do you portray, you know, on the surface, it can be very funny and appear that you're making fun of them. And obviously, you know, Shatner has been apologizing for that for 30 years, you know, to certain people, you know. And so how do you balance sort of, like on the surface, these people are nuts, but on the other hand, bringing the heart and the sentimentality and the sweetness that ultimately the film delivers. Well, people are not stupid and they know, they sense your intent. And the intent of the Get a Life sketch was outright mockery. And it, it was brilliant and funny, but it wasn't embracing or gentle in any way. <laughs> Our film, I think, partly credited to, to goes to Denise, has more of an embracing feel because Denise is the center of it. She was our secret weapon. People opened up to her because she was an insider. And she also wanted, she felt protective of our subject. So it would have been easy to include people that can't defend themselves and look ridiculous. That's just an, that's an easy joke and it's unfair. And we avoided that whenever we could. We, you know, we made sure that everyone in the film, they're an adult or, or, or fully cognizant of who they are and what they are and proud of it. And they're not afraid of it. I mean, if you go out in public wearing your Star Trek uniform, you're not bashful about it. You want to express that to the world. That, and so our film was just another avenue for, for these people to do that. And I think that's partly why they embraced it. And we helped them do that. But our intent was to make an entertaining film. For my next project, I'm going to build a dilithium chamber after I'm done with Nomad. And I'm going to build uh, some anti-grabs too after that. Maybe an M5 computer. And I'm going to connect my house with Jeffrey's tubes. I got a lot of projects like down the road to do, to build. Star Trek, I think it's had a lot of impact on the future. I mean, we have cellular flip phones. They have nuclear-powered uh, rocket engines already that'll, I'm sure, take us to Mars. And basically, all science fiction now is true. We were aware of this, though. We screened the film when, before it was complete. Uh, we did test screenings, and we did a separate screenings for, like, the civilians, and then one for Star Trek fans only. And what we found is that the Star Trek fan screening, they laughed even harder than the civilians because they were like, they recognized those people. Oh, I know someone just like that, or I actually know that person. And it was kind of a home movie 
to them where they're watching their their friends their like almost family members in this family this trek family and enjoying the humor not so much at them but just how funny it's funny you know star trek fans have a sense of humor yeah. about themselves um, most of them, not everyone. Some of them right. do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even if they do see themselves in it, they can disconnect it and and laugh too, because there's something inside that denies that quality in themselves. Isn't so, that funny? Yeah. I mean, in Trekkies too. Absolutely. I, I wanted to mine that exact vein a little bit, so I asked people, "How much is too much in be expressing your Star Trek, your love of Star Trek?" Where do you draw the line? When is it? How much is okay? And when? Where is somebody going too far? And of course, no one agreed. But what the, I noticed, the thing I noticed was everyone always said, "Well, the amount of extreme behavior that I ex- exhibit, that's okay. Anything right. beyond me is too much." No matter where <laughs> they were on the spectrum, everyone yeah. <laughs> felt like they had found the sweet spot, and, and they're willing to condemn those who took it a little further. Yeah. Now, theoretically, and again. You know, obviously, you you went to remine this fertile ground in Trekkies two. Theoretically, if you were going to do uh, a, a Trekkies three, you know, of course, Trekkies one and Trekkies two deal with the sort of sweetness of fandom and the, the passion and the love. Social media has changed the nature; has been transformative in terms of fandom. You still have that, but then you have this very toxic element, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, and you know other fandoms. I'm sure as well. Um, is that something you think you would deal with or is it sort of anathema to sort of your take on Trekkies? A great question. Denise and I have been brainstorming on this for a few years now, uh, what Trekkies three could and or will be. We're planning on it. We, I'm sure we will do it. Uh, it's, it's sort of unavoidable. It, it has to be a trilogy, right? It just feels like <laughs> yeah, it's gotta right. be a third one. So you much has happened. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> So much has happened since Trekkies 2 in the world of Star Trek. New movies and new TV series and new thoughts, every, debates about which one's the best and not, which one's terrible, etc. And so we are planning on it. I'm doing a screening this weekend of Trekkies on 35mm in Minneapolis at the Parkway Theater. And I always welcome people to pitch me, who do you think would be great in Trekkies 3? And I'm, I've got a, a file this thick that I've been collecting over the years of people that were leads for like really interesting people to, to profile and sort of sew up this long journey we've been on for 25 years with Trekkies. And what are we, we're approaching 50 years for Star Trek. Where are we? We're We're 55. Oh my God. We're approaching 60. (laughs) Yeah. Six decades. It's insane. So I got to ask you, because that's interesting. You talk about, you know, binders full of Trekkies. Uh, to, to steal a horrible <laughs> phrase, but um, I, I wonder how, like there were certain obviously low-lying fruit that was obvious, you know, the woman who was on the whitewater uh, jury, you know, Barbara wearing, Adams. I mean, that had gotten so much mainstream press, Barbara, you know, uh, I mean, I remember it was like it was yesterday and people were fascinated with that. So obviously that makes sense. Now, it seems like you went to a couple of um, conventions, specifically the creation convention back in Pasadena for that first show. Is that, is that where you sort of, in your version of an audition process, found a lot of, of people or was it uh, something different than that? Or was there a different way that you went about, you know, sort of casting Trekkies? 
Yeah, it's sort of a search for the most extreme fan in one sense. And that's Barbara Adams was on the radar because she was famous. And she, we found her at Sir Speedy Print Shop in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Trekkies 1. And we went back at Trekkies 2, and she was still there working at Sir, Spe- Sir Speedy Print Shop. I'm going to be the Sir owners, Speedy was still around. It <laughs> was there, but the owners had, had changed, and every single other person working there had changed. But she oh. was the one constant at Sir Speedy, and she's still there today. And wow. so she, she's like uh, an anchor, a rock, you know, <laughs> she's very consistent. Uh, huh. I think we'll probably have to check in on her again, but the casting process mostly was we would go to conventions and meet people. Denise would meet people at the autograph line and then mm-hmm. she would sort of earmark them and, and say, Hey, I just, this kid, Gabriel just signed, signed an autograph for him go interview him, you know, take him. So we take him aside and interview him for five or 10 minutes. We did that for several people. And then I got the footage back and I was going through the footage. And then some people would jump out at me like Gabriel watching the footage. I thought, okay, we need to go home with this kid. We need to spend more time with him. Another interesting thing that, Oh, oh. God sakes. I'll get that. I'll You're get the that. one that told me. That. Hello. Okay. Peter, this is the worst time you could have called. Go away. Okay. Bye. Around this entire section here, we have my collection of autographed Star Trek action figures. And over here, I have the collection of the four captains. This Cisco here might look a bit messy because I shaved it with an X-Acto knife because of his new look this season and painted on a goatee with model paint. Over here, I put up somewhat of a chart with my data is illustrating the evolution of the uniforms in the past few years. We start out here with uh, data in the first second season Lycra jumpsuit, which I heard caused the male actors back problems. Then the uh, third through seventh season two-piece uniform, and then the Generations jumpsuit version, and now the uh, gray-shouldered first contact garbs, which of course I am wearing now. And that becomes our process, finding people. I mean, you can go to a Star Trek convention and throw a rock, and whomever you hit, they're going to make an interesting subject to profile. Right. They're, it's such a colorful group of people, literally and metaphorically. You can't go wrong. Yeah, and then obviously you, the cast members you talked to as well were people that obviously Denise knew and had worked with. And um, But you know, how honest do you feel they are? Because obviously a lot of these casts, um, you know, continue to support themselves off the largesse of the fans. They go to conventions, they get paid a lot of money for autographs. Did you feel that people in any way were sort of coloring their real feelings, uh, you know, as in not to offend, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to alienate their base? Well, if somebody's paying you to say black is red, you're going to say black is red, right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> there's some of that going on, I'm sure. But, you know, one thing that the uh, Enterprise actors told us that when we interviewed them for Trekkies 2 is that to do their homework before they took that job or before they started working, they went and watched Trekkies to see what they were in for, mm. to, to get an education. Because a lot of times they're just actors caught in this maelstrom. Now, they're not, they probably weren't even aware what sort of rapids were ahead in their, their future once they joined the Star Trek family. And fans love to hear this, the anecdotes and the stories and the behind the scenes. 
and for those who are interested, you know, some more than others, like Avery Brooks, you rarely saw on the camp on the uh, convention trail, just right. wasn't his thing. But a lot of them you saw regularly, and and they enjoyed it. I mean, imagine you're a person that's treated like a god when you go to a convention, and when you're not at a convention, nobody cares. You know, you got to take out your own trash, and you you get no respect. <laughs> You're going to be motivated to go back to another convention where you feel <laughs> embraced and supported. Mark and so knows this feeling extremely well. Just so you know. <laughs> it's a cycle. You know, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Was, was there anything when you got into the process of making the film that really surprised you? You know, you, know, you went in with a certain idea of what these fans would be like and, and what this world would be like. And obviously, Denise sort of clued you into her experiences. But was there anything that was really surprising to you? You know, that you, when you finished the first film, you really said, I just completely took me by surprise. I didn't expect to get emotional and to tear up sometimes at the stories, which like James Doohan has a bunch of, of stories like that that he pulled out um, of his bag of tricks, um, which were genuine, you know, real stories, people he met and, and how he uh, bonded with some of them. And then that th th there's a, a sense of responsibility to the community. And so many Star Trek fan clubs, clubs would do charity work and give back. And I found that sense, um, really touching. I didn't expect that to happen. And I also didn't expect to see a guy in a pike chair with a fur hat driving down a, a snowy Minneapolis street. And I thought that was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. So there's two extremes there that were uh, beyond. I mean, who could predict? Now, you you worked with that gentleman later on your UFO, uh, on your Roswell uh, movie. Rich Kronfeld is his Rich name. Yes. Right. Now. I'm just wondering, what was the order of operations there? Did you meet him on the Trekkies project or had you uh, known about him previously? I knew him previously. Some of the people in Trekkies are people I knew previously. Like another, uh, you remember the Kirk birthday party? You know, this year a girl came and everything. Right. right. That was a group of people or a couple of people from that group I knew from college. And I said, hey, I'm making this film. And he said, well, we have this party. Why don't you film that? You know, I'm right. okay. And so uh, that turned out to be a really fun, funny moment in the film with a couple of people I knew. And Rich Kronfeld was also somebody I knew from the Minneapolis media scene because I went to right. the University of Minnesota, grew up there and sort of we all kind of know each other. And Rich is a diehard sci-fi Star Trek fan, but he's also very funny. And, yeah. and the combination gave us some really brilliant footage and an idea to, to sort of spin that into another film about a guy, Rich, who decides that he wants to get abducted, but nobody gets abducted in Minnesota. Right. So he's got to go to Roswell. And so it's his journey. We follow him to Roswell for this big celebration they had the first time they had a 50th anniversary celebration of the crash of this alleged spaceship. And we went there to interview people and Rich is a little bit like Sasha Baron Cohen before Sasha Baron Cohen, where he's accentuating about himself his desire to be a UFO fanatic in order to, for people like Denise did, to feel comfortable enough to open up to him and talk to him and give us some really funny footage. Uh, so he, uh, Rich and I again worked later on a TV show called Let's Bowl after that. So we've 
we've known each other and worked together many times. I, I, I enjoy the Roswell uh, movie very much. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very interesting because you don't really know what's real and what isn't. And I think that's part of the, part of the enjoyment of it is that it, you're always guessing. Um, I, I just want to mention because I, I'm in Trekkies briefly. You are? Yeah. Where? It, you came to the Talk Trek radio show. Oh. Yes. Oh, you're part of that. <laughs> right. I was the I was the co-host of Talk Trek. Oh I'm, my I'm, goodness! I'm the one that kept silent <laughs> during that whole thing on purpose because I I wasn't exactly sure which way you guys were going to go. <laughs> so I, I didn't, I just wanted to sort of step away a little bit. I had already had a little bit of a professional connection with Star Trek. So I didn't know which way you guys were going to go. Oh, so, I loved Evelyn and Joyce. I know Evelyn oh uh, Joyce, uh, Joyce has passed on, right? Joyce passed away uh, several years ago. Um, and I've lost touch with Evelyn, but uh, uh, it, that was such a fun thing. Cause I, I've been doing that since 1991. Uh, and we've been doing that show a long time. And, you guys you know, virtually it, it, uh, discovered, it, it, uh, invented the idea of a Trek podcast with that it was, show. Yeah, it was podcast before podcasts existed, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but a convention it, of the air. That's exactly the, right. That's exactly right. It. Um, it was uh, it was so much fun, and it was it was fun to have you guys there and uh, and Denise uh, uh, interviewed. Uh, for our show, and uh, I, I was happy to see uh, all of that included in the in Trekkies. Well, good to see you again. How much? Uh, how how amazing is that? It's uh, it's pretty amazing that I'm doing exactly the same thing twenty five years ago. <laughs> well, here's to another twenty five. Indeed, it's so funny. I remember you telling me that story too. In retrospect, yeah, I didn't say anything because I I knew they could make me look like an idiot if I didn't say anything. <laughs> I was uh, very, very trepidatious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, that was um, another uh, one of the emotional moments in the film. You know, when Evelyn gets a little teary uh, because a caller calls in and talks to Denise and expresses yeah. how heartfelt, how she her her performance affected him, and yeah. that was uh, an unexpected moment. Absolutely. And you know, I, I imagine this was your first. Uh, documentary that you directed, but you've been editing obviously for many years and you directed other things um, that um, your editing experience probably helped you parse so much. I'm sure you had so much raw footage that getting it down to a manageable length and how long is too long, you know, how before, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, start to move around their seats. So, you know, how difficult was it sort of finding the movie in all that footage that you shot over the course of those many months? Trekkies was a little bit of a charmed production. It took us nine months from first convention that we filmed to the end to uh, a final cut that we screened at a film festival in the Hamptons. I believe that was our premiere. And that's fast nowadays. Yeah. We had uh, about 70 to 80 hours of footage. No, sorry. Wait, no, no. It was less than that. It was under 40 hours. It's coming back to me now. It's probably closer to 35 hours of footage, which is nothing these days. It's very light. Yeah, for uh, six days in Roswell, I believe we had about 150 hours of footage. If that, with my next doc, The Nature of Existence, I had 400 hours of footage. Mm. And it's just continued to go up. Trekkies too, we had over 300, I think 300 hours of footage. Partly it's because 
we've, we shoot digitally now with multiple cameras and you don't stop. You just keep rolling with film because we shot Trekkies on actual film, 16 millimeter. You've got to plan your sound bites carefully. And sometimes we rehearse them. Okay. What are you going to say here? Why don't you say it this way? Okay. Ready action. They say it and we cut. It was a very different approach. And partly it was be just because the footage was so rich. We had a, f a film very quickly. The subject was so rich that it didn't take long to have enough for a film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was the, it was the end of an era because that was kind of the, the, the end of sh shooting on film and, and negative cutting and, and finishing on film and just, you know, crazy. Um, but uh you know, so you're at the, the end of an era. Well, I got to speak of the end of an era, you know, the short-lived Paramount Classics, when you produced the film, you produced it independently, didn't you? And they picked it up as an acquisition. Yes, yes that's correct. There was a bidding war. We couldn't even get Paramount to look at the film when mm -hmm. it was finished. They were not interested. John Ferraro was their acquisitions executive. Yep. He couldn't be bothered to look at it. We called and sent email, not even emails, letters. I mean, uh, I think email has just been invented then, <laughs> believe it or not. And what finally happened was we started doing screenings and somebody from Trimark showed up and had a little bit of interest and, and New Line, um, lower level people. So the word started filtering up the chain. And then Denise invited, it was no offers yet, just sort of some buzz. Denise invited a guy named Mark Abra, uh, Abraham from Beacon Pictures, who Beacon Pictures had just on Air Force One. They just, you know, big movies. They don't do little documentaries. She just invited him kind of like, hey, come see my film. And he, he came and saw it and he loved it. He thought, uh, he said, I, I don't know what much about documentaries, but I know when I'm entertained. So he went to Universal where they had a deal and persuaded them to make an offer for the film. Mm. And once Universal made an offer, Paramount was suddenly, like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, well, we want to see it. So yeah. then we arranged a screening for Paramount and they began bidding against each other. Uh, after no one cared, suddenly That's we had right. something everyone wanted. And then uh, Paramount <laughs> ultimately, it made sense to let that be the home for the film. But Universal would have been taken a very different track. I always wondered what would have happened if Universal had released Trekkies. Mm. And, you know, we asked them, aren't you afraid that Paramount will sue you? And they said, we have as many lawyers as they have. <laughs> so they weren't afraid of that. And the film doesn't have any clips from the shows. Right. And there's really nothing protectable in there that Paramount could, can legally object to. And this is before fair use became a thing, you know, now everybody does yes. fair use, but back then that there really wasn't a thing. It wasn't, you relied on yeah. nearly as much. You're absolutely right. We only had two things in there ultimately that we had to license and we didn't even realize that they were in there. One was a local radio show did a parody of the Star Trek theme. Mm. And so we had to get a lot music license for that. Technically a parody you can get away with, but it was a gray line. And then we had Glenn Proshell, who was the teacher of a Klingon language school in Minneapolis, teaching a class. And somebody in the class sang a Klingon song. Right. And the song he sang, it turned out, was copywritten by somebody in the Klingon language. Oh, my goodness. So we had to clear that. You had to find a Klingon lawyer to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously you 
you heard the idea from Denise and got excited about the potential of this for both commercial, I'm sure creative reasons as well. Were you a fan much uh, of sci-fi and genre? You know, throughout your career, you've worked with some real, you know, obviously David Mandel's huge, huge genre fan and big collector, but um, you know, was it something that spoke to you or is it just like, no, this will be a fun world to spend some time in. I am was and still am a huge sci-fi fan. When I was growing up, I watched lots of sci-fi shows, including Star Trek. Star Trek was on in the afternoons on syndication. So I've seen every episode multiple times because that's what was on TV. But I also liked Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and The Immortal and uh, Time Tunnel. Uh, all all sci-fi, the, the, the Invaders, Night Gallery, the, yeah. uh, all these things. But I, I didn't specifically fixate on Star Trek by any means it was just right. one of many of the shows that influenced me and that i loved as a kid yeah. and the night gallery conventions are very low-key <laughs> yeah. yeah no one comes back alive they all get yeah. turned into uh, scarecrows yeah. or something there's no bidding war between universal and paramount for the night gallery fan right. documentary <laughs> not, yet. not 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 happening and um you know while over you know you keep revisiting this world of, of trekkies but you're also uh your, your day job is uh, you've been an editor on a lot of very awesome, high profile shows, stuff like Veep and obviously Curb with Larry. Um, how, you know, ha- do you feel that that's helped you with your filmmaking, your, your, your documentaries and obviously something like Curb, which is, you know, largely ad libbed. Um, and I imagine there's a lot. The shooting ratio is pretty high as well because it's not scripted. What, what has that been like for you? Well, you know, working in documentaries and sitcoms, are they're different, but there are many things that overlap. And what I learned, all the tricks and techniques I learned in either school camp cross-pollinates in the other and makes me better at doing the, each, each other. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I got the job at doing editing Curb Your Enthusiasm is because this is the, some of the producers had seen Trekkies. And thought, oh, you know, if he can handle that sort of dialogue and make it funny in a documentary, maybe he can handle the type of challenge Curb Your Enthusiasm is. They told me afterwards that they had considered 25 editors for the spot when I was replacing an editor who was leaving. Apparently, 24 were seen lacking in some way. And um, I got the job. And partly it was because of that film, because of Trekkies. No doubt about it that they were looking for proof of concept. But there was really nothing like Curb Your Enthusiasm. There's no direct correlation. Yeah. Uh, and there is now, like there was a show I worked on called The League, which was done very similarly. And there's right. lots of improving people trying things. Nobody's really succeeded the way Larry David has because it's right. much more difficult than it seems. You know, you can't improv a story. You can only improv- improvise dialogue. And so right. the stories are fully scripted in Curb right. Your Enthusiasm, just not the dialogue. Well, I'd, I'd say you did pretty, pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, you've alluded to the the desire to do, you know, Trekkies 3 to return to this place again. Um, what what do you see, you know, the timetable and what you're, you know, is it uh, you need a, a distribution commitment? Is it just, you know, finding the time? Because obviously, you know, your, your day job keeps you pretty busy to actually carve out time to, you know, do it. You know, wh- what do you think? Do you think realistically this is something, you know, on your horizon or is it, you know, sort of on the, the, the wish list to get to at some point? It's on the horizon. Probably not, not this year, maybe next year. Uh, it will uh, corral uh, all the cats 
and uh, dive in for real. Yeah. I mean, I think we've got some pretty good ideas that I'm excited about. We might even try crowdfunding it, or maybe we'll find a home for it. We haven't really pursued that yet, but um, once we do, I you know, I, I, I kind of like the excitement, the idea of crowdfunding it, and to have no interference and mm. um, really in, include the input from the fans. Um, and you can almost, it's like self-publishing of, of movies is, is a thing now. You can self-publish a book, right? Yep. I just restored my film Suckers and Six Days in Roswell and self-published them by putting them on Amazon Prime. I bypassed the middleman. I didn't use a distributor. And so people now can find them directly without me needing the services of a studio. So I don't know. I'm not sure yet quite how we'll approach it, but it seems it's exciting because there's so many ways to skin that cat now. It's amazing. Since, since you did the original, the, the, the ground rules have changed completely and they haven't even, they haven't even solidified yet. (laughs) It's, it's still developing. So what's interesting is you were at a time where documentaries were going through a renaissance with hoop dreams. And as you said, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the films are, you know, falling for Columbine. And then now documentaries are again going through a renaissance, you know, thanks to streaming. There's so many phenomenal uh, doc, you know, documentaries have been released in the last couple of years. But what I love is the idea of you as this sort of sci-fi Michael Apted, because in a way it's like doing the up films that you keep revisiting, you know, Sir Speedy, you know, 20 years later <laughs> and, you know, to see where these people have gone, you know, it's that old space seed to see how the seed we planted on, you know, SETI Alpha 5 has sprung and to go back to these people <laughs> and see where they are now. Unfortunately, Darren is apparently in the same exact place he was you know, That's back right. doing radio. Does <laughs> radio exist actually, anymore? I'm still at Sir Speedy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting story, though. You know that you're the surviving member. I wonder if we could find Evelyn somewhere. I mean, you know, there might be something there. I'm also interested in the psychology of the Star Trek fan and fandom in general. Yeah. There's uh, something's going on in the human brain for human people wanting to be a part of something a TV show so strongly that they'll dress up like it. They'll do write fan fiction that they'll just share with each other. And these aren't jobs. They're not getting paid for it. They're, they just are driven to do this. Some to far more of an extreme than others. And, and there's, there's something going on. And so I, I might even envision a, a psychologist and interviewing a, a, a bevy of psychologists mm. for Trekkies three to sort of try to solve that mystery. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. It's not only, of course, limited to Star Trek, but uh, you know, back in the uh, in the in the early uh, early years of the uh, 20th century, I mean, fans of Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, Sherlock Holmes believed he existed and would write letters to him. Uh, a thing that uh, Doyle absolutely despised. But you know, and even even in uh, recent polls, um, certain people were asked to identify real people from fictional people. And uh, something like uh, 30% said that uh, Winston Churchill was fictional and Sherlock Holmes was real. So it's, <laughs> there, is a, there is a real mindset that some fans get into that sort of include themselves in, in whatever it is that they're fans of. And I think it's, it, it's very fascinating. 
That's true. But Star Trek also set the template for contemporary fandom, which is so interesting. Because if you look at any of these shows now that have these huge followings and these big fans, it's all built on what Star Trek did, you know, um, in terms of the way that people, you know, whether it's cosplay, whether it's uh, fan fiction, which has migrated from mimeographed fanzines, you know, to Wattpad and things like that. But um, it's it's all you know built on the shoulders of what Star, you know Star Trek fandom was. In the the very connection with the fans that brought it back after the second season, you know. And now every show does, you know, every show, all you know, like have six people watching it. Bring back the show, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like I mean, I'll never forget Comic Con seeing that. What was it, Timeless or Time? Whatever that you know, the the plane they chartered a plane and had the thing renew Timeless. And I mean, every show now has this this vocal thing that thinks it's going to be just like Star Trek. We're going to bring it back, you know, because uh, you know we put the graffiti on this rock or whatever. You and know, the internet has become a huge megaphone. Yeah, for, that's for sure. That's I can't believe sure. you you remember mimeographs. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> we're, 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 unfortunately, as it comes with being old, I still remember some things. So, <laughs> do you remember uh, when they're also called dittos? Dittos. Yes. Yeah. The blue, yeah. the blue ink that <laughs> yeah. was horrific yeah. and smelled terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But um, and then you know, just kind of to wrap, bring it all around. Um, obviously, Shout Factory just recently released the film on Blu-ray. You just remastered, uh, you did a new 4K master to sort of future-proof it for streaming and everything else, and maybe there'll be a 4K release. Uh, how did this all uh, come about? Uh, you know, what well, was... Paramount the wouldn't, they, re- they dropped the ball. They refused to do a restoration. They wouldn't mm. spend the money. Shocking. They could, Positively they shocking. Again, they couldn't be bothered mm-hmm. to pay attention, so their license expired. We had a 20-year license with them, mm-hmm. which when it expired, we said, hey, last call, and they didn't bite. It was, it was just they didn't answer. They, 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 they couldn't be moved off their whatever pedestal they were on, focusing on other things. You know, they want a grand slam every time, like, like monster trucks. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they just sometimes they don't see the value in something like Trekkies has a long tail, you know, that sort of business model. Yep. It's evergreen. It, it sells and it sells forever. In perpetuity. Absolutely. Smaller, Esfad, yeah. Smaller quantities. So we said, okay, fine, let's find another home for it or we'll, we'll do it ourselves. Yeah. And um, I got a call from uh, this gentleman at shout named Jordan who said, Hey, we're doing a lot of Star Trek stuff. This would be a good home for it. And the more he talked, the more I thought he was right. They, they are Star Trek documentary and Star Trek media specialists. They're, they'll actually do a much better job of handling this. And they're going to end up relicensing it back to Paramount uh, once it's done. Right. Like they've done with some of their other products. So. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to go with the flow, and the flow was to find a, a better home for it. Right. Yeah. So people, people who want to uh, get it, you can order on Amazon, or uh, obviously you can't go to Tower Records or the Virgin <laughs> Megastore like you did the first time it was released on DVD, but you can order it on Amazon and uh, wherever you get your Blu-rays. You can or find directly all from my Shelf films. Factory. You can find all my films on Amazon now, Trekkies included, obviously, but. Uh, um, Six Days in Roswell is on Amazon and Suckers, my car salesman comedy with uh, Lori Laughlin. 
um, and uh, Daniel Benzali. And my oh, other documentary. Oh, Daniel Benzali. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I love Murder One so much. That's and, him. Uh, I, we had Daniel on um, one of my episodes of Agent X, and it was just like, I just couldn't talk about Murder One enough. It's like, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was so, you know, and it was interesting because, you know, I always believed the, the stories they would tell about he was such a prima donna. That's why they didn't bring him back for the second season. But it turns out that was not the reason. And the real reason is even more insane. I, I, which apparently. Which was, what did he tell you? Well, apparently, you know, no, he hasn't said this, but this is, I, mean, I guess, according to Stephen Bochco, was um, that he would, he had this routine where he would have to go to the bathroom every morning, but he couldn't do it at the studio. He had to do it at his house. So he was always late to set and they were just sick of it. They couldn't, I mean, they couldn't, couldn't deal with it. And then the, you know, ABC wanted somebody who was a little more traditionally a leading man, but uh, anyway, for all you murder one fans, all six of you out there, <laughs> to, you know, I never but, heard that, but that's entirely possible. Who knows? I mean, he showed up at our set for suckers and, uh, delivered he's like an acting machine he would be in his trailer running his lines over and over and over again because he had a lot of lines and he's great oh he he's uh, he's frightening he he's (laughs) he's, and and lewis mandalore who was his co-star was in the next trailer no not bothering to learn his lines he had the exact opposite (laughs) philosophy he wanted to come in fresh so these two had completely different approaches but it worked yeah, that's 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 great. Well, look, when uh, Trekkies three um, uh, it eventually comes to fruition, we'll have to have you uh, have to have you come back and 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 t- talk about the latest in the uh, the latest of the trilogy, the exciting yeah, conclusion. Well, let's find Evelyn, okay? Darren, think, you have I, your work I, cut out for you. I I will try. I have no idea where she's disappeared to. <laughs> well, that's what the internet is for. Anyone can I be suppose. found now, right? <laughs> That's what's scary. Anyone can be found now, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, but Roger, we appreciate you taking the time, and uh, it's a nice walk down uh, memory uh, memory lane. It's You're hard to welcome. believe it. it was so long ago that the first film came out, but now it's finding uh, new life on uh, on on Blu-ray and streaming. So that's awesome. Thank thank you. No, it was fun talking about it. Anytime. Great. Thanks, Roger. Have we just seen the beginning of a new life form? I hope. I don't so. know. <laughs> You got you got the all the insight. Uh, you, you know, Trekkies three is on potentially on the horizon. So uh, if you're a fan of the Trekkies one and Trekkie Strikes Back or the Wrath of Trekkies or uh, it should have been the Wrath of Trekkies, shouldn't it? Um, uh, the Trekkies three. The search for Trekkies go, is coming. Go back in a go back in a couple of years and see what crop has sprouted from the seed you planted today. I like that, Roger. I like that, Roger Nygaard. <laughs> He's a good guy. Yeah. Nice, good, a good yeg, as they said back in the twenties. <laughs> so uh, he was uh, he was fun. And I love that story. I totally forgotten until you mentioned it. How I, I remember it like it was yesterday when you said, yeah, they're coming to interview me for this document. This was when we were doing for Enterprise. So they're coming to interview me for this documentary on uh, on, on, on Star Trek fans. But I know what they're going to do. So I'm just going to shut the fuck. I'm not going to say yeah. anything so they can't make me look like an imbecile. Yeah. And uh, and it you worked. Did. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. And of course, because also you were upfront and wonderful and free enterprise and gave that brilliant performance. So, well, um, I mean, that, that might've been a bigger mistake, but it's okay. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're so good in free enterprise. So funny. Eh. So funny. So Shatner gave a lot of people, Natalie joy. Joy. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, uh, 
hey, if you're a fan of us, and you may not be after we just lambasted you for being so mean to um, Terry, we want to invite you to join us at San Diego Comic-Con, where we'll be doing Inglorious Treks for live, live, live and in person, Darren and I. And uh, so come join us. So you'll you check it out on the uh, comiccon.org, which will have all the, the details about when and where you can come see us. And when the panel's over, Darren will be around, and who knows? Maybe he'll even give you an honorary Trexpert certificate. You know what? Mark Mark is going to be around, too. I'm gonna, no, I'm you know make, me. I leave I'm immediately. I'm going to make him sit down and sign these in person. I'll sign them before. Okay. I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to sit down. It'd be, be nice. and be friendly. I don't want to do it. We need to get you one of those scooters so that you'll be on an equal playing level. I'm, you know what? Can I tell you something? I'm trying to get in shape for Comic-Con because I know how brutal it is to be on my feet all day. And I'm just like, I've just been rowing and pelotoning because it's just like this pandemic just kicked my ass and, 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 and the scooter too. And I just like, I know with Comic-Con coming up, I got to be, you know, in fighting weight. So it's like, I feel like Rocky getting ready for, you know, the big fight, the big fight. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The Kuna Kalafi. Um, Also, if if that- Bring your, bring your red, white, and blue shorts. If- God, no. If that's not enough, if that's not, if San Diego is not enough, the world is not enough. We will also, with Ashley Edward Miller, our other Trek expert, be at the Star Trek Las Vegas show. Crazy. Doing a couple panels there. I don't know what, I, 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 I think I know what we're doing, but until they're confirmed, I can't say much more. But we will be there. Yes. And we'll be doing panels and they'll be worth coming to. And, 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 uh, and we'll be in the bars after hours. Well, yeah, but don't 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 come up to me if it's not <laughs> at night because that's a, that's my time. That's not your time to come talk right. to me. <laughs> ah. I to, I'm gonna have to give you a supply of uh, uh, honorary Trexperts. To, no, but they they to come to out. you and I'll sign them. You say, Mark, sign these. I'll sign a few for you, and you can ha- have them. Just because you're the friendly one. You're the Roger Ebert. Oh. I'm the Gene Siskel, right? Oh you're God, the approachable one. That's you're the hilarious. one that people should feel like he's one of us. I like to talk to Darren. Darren's so sweet. He's it's, such a nice it's, guy. It's funny. Mark Mark shows a a, a, a coarse exterior, but in reality, he's a uh, he's a teddy bear. He's a teddy bear oh, in, in real life. Most people don't realize. In fact, no one realizes it. Not when I've been hit with a scooter. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm really the one filled with seething hate. So don't give in to hate. <laughs> that leads to bad TV shows. Um, so uh, and then Ashley's going to be there, which is great because we love Ashley. We do, and uh, and we got to get Ashley back. He has been here on the last. How couple about episodes. we give Ashley the stack of uh, honorary? Let's do that. Okay, uh, so pretend they- Darren and I aren't there. Just go right up to Ashley and just ignore us. That's funny. That's, that's all. Oh, by the way, speaking of the Academy Museum, you know who I ran into? The Huckman. You know, uh, one of our, our, our first, one of our early listeners, a big fan of the show. He does okay. his own uh, YouTube uh, uh, blog or vlog or whatever they call it now, um, where he he talks about the industry and different stuff. But uh, always been a huge supporter of both Fourth Day Movie and Glorious Trexperts. And it was so funny because we walked in the museum and all of a sudden I... <laughs> I hear out of the corner of my eye. I say, is that, is that Mark Altman? And then, you know, my kids look at me because they think this is embarrassing already. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I, you know, because they, 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 you know, I get recognized a lot and they, they, they think it's ridiculous. So um, it is, <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. So, so, uh, and it was, it was Huckman. It was the Huckman. So uh, I was glad to see him and his family also having the same idea, going to the Academy to 
uh, check out that wonderful, um, the wonderful uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum. There you go. So it's all good. Okay. Well, listen, this was uh, this was an episode. And uh, it was great having the Roger Nygaard. We want to thank our um, producers, uh, Peter Holmstrom, Alan Biscali, Zach Raggetts, um, especially um, our sound mixer, Mark Rivera, as well as our executive sound mixer, Bill Ritter. Um, and uh, uh, of course, if you're a fan of the podcast, which you may not be after me lambasting you for the last 60 <laughs> minutes, uh, please rate us five stars on the um uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also watch us on the Electric Now app, which is free to download. Check that out today. And um, we'll be back, of course, next week with an all-new episode. And if you want to see what people are saying about the show, you can go to Inglorious Trek on Twitter, Inglorious Trek Experts on the uh, Instagram or Facebook. So we're everywhere. Inglorious Trek Experts everywhere, including San Diego and Las Vegas later this summer. So be there. It's an exciting future ahead of us. Indeed. Indeed it is. And uh, and just don't be mean. I feel like Buckaroo Bonsai. Don't, there's no need to be mean. Don't be mean. I'm one to talk. <laughs> I just felt, you know what? I, I actually actually wrote to Jerry. I said, look, you know, I'm sorry. You, you were such a great guest and you were so nice that you come on the show. And uh, I'm sorry these people are being such fucking assholes. And he, he's like, well, why would I blame you guys? You guys, you, you had me on you. It was great. Um, and he said, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is the life we've chosen. This is why we get paid the big bucks to make television. Cause there are always going to be those people out there bashing on you and you got to accept that. I, I, you know, my philosophy is I just don't read the shit. So yeah. I don't care. You know, I learned that a long time well, ago. I'm, just- I'm, I'm looking very much forward to our episode where we talk to Al Ruddy about his responsibility for the magic that is Star Trek. Well, exactly. And of course, uh, I want to hear all about Megaforce, too, because That's I'm right. sure he, he will make that an Oscar worthy, Oscar worthy film. Also, we'll be doing a panel on our 1982 documentary down at Comic-Con. So I hope you'll join us for that as Greatest well. Greatest here ever. And indeed, we're going to preview some exclusive footage and talk about what to expect. Uh, we're in the home stretch with that. So that's very exciting. And um, we couldn't find Evelyn for that one either. OK, so I think it's time to wrap up. On behalf of Darren Doctor and myself, Mark A. Allman, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.